On the Record with White House Correspondent April Ryan. The Flint, Michigan water crisis is far from over. I talked to Congressman Dan Kildee. All right, Congressman Kildee, I have been reading up on Flint. It's not in the headlines like it used to be. And with that, we're hearing um, just in the last couple of days that bottled water is not coming in like it used to. Talk to me about that. Right. Well, in fact, last year after the water testing revealed that the water levels had returned to, at least in terms of lead, had returned to the levels that they were at before the crisis, the governor, the then governor, Rick Snyder, said, okay, the water tests fine on this one set of tests. He cut off water supply, no more bottled water for the people of Flint. And of course, that was really an insult to the people of my hometown because the very same people who were telling the people of Flint that you can trust the water now were the ones who told them that they could trust the water four years ago when the state of Michigan knew that the levels of lead were far too high, when they knew that the water was poison. So to, to ask the people of Flint to suddenly trust the same government that lied to it once before is a real insult. My view is, until all those lead pipes are removed from the ground, the people of Flint should receive bottled water. Until they know that that lead is gone, they should not be asked to trust the government again. So where is the lead level right now? It's still above where it should be, correct? It is in some places, and it spikes because part of the problem now is as we go through the process of replacing, a lot of the lead that's in the pipelines, are, it, it gets dislodged as, as, as we see the pipes being replaced. So it is improving, to be fair. The, the water levels have come now back to a place where it's more like what you see in other places. And the lead lines are being replaced. We were able to get legislation through in 2016 to fund the replacement of all those, of all those lead pipes. In fact, it was the very last bill that President Barack Obama signed before he left office. So it was a, for us, there was some, some real justice that was delivered for the people of Flint because there was an acknowledgement that we're all in this together and the federal government's going to pitch in and get these pipes replaced. But we're not there yet. And that's the point that we've been trying to make. Not only uh, do we need to give the people of Flint more time before we can expect them to trust the government, we need to replace the pipes before we can ask for that. But we also have to realize there's a lot more to Flint's recovery than just changing the pipes. There's a lot more to it in terms of helping these kids overcome the exposure in terms of rebuilding the economic losses that the community faced. Well, we've got a big, a big hurdle, a long path ahead of us, and, and we continue to fight for more help for Flint. So, and, and I want to touch on that. Um, I want two things before we go into one part of what you just said. So are you encouraging people to still send donations of water, bottled water? You know, the, the, the management of, of bottled water being delivered is difficult. There are ways that people can help. If they want to purchase water, they're better off finding one of the local charities that is purchasing water and managing it. 
in financially supporting them. A local Flint charity. A local Flint charity. Yes. Yes, I I will say this. Our new governor, uh, governor, um, the governor was just elected uh, in uh, November, uh, Gretchen Whitmer. Mm. She is now restarting water delivery to Flint, but it takes a while to build up that uh, all that support. Uh, so what, what Flint needs now is a combination of water, for sure. That's coming. But it's the other pieces. It's making sure that the expanded health care that we got for the kids of Flint is continued. It's making sure that good, nutritious food continues to be provided because one of the things that we had to do uh, as a part of Flint's recovery is to make sure that the the good fruit and vegetables that were being delivered through the schools continued for these kids throughout the summer, uh, regrowing the economy, finding private investment. There are a lot of moving parts to Flint's recovery. Getting water is one way that people can help with, but people have lots of different talents and different resources. And so if, if someone's interested in helping, rather than just sending a shipment of water, um, they should reach out. They can either talk to my office, talk to the mayor's office, and we'll find the best way to help that they can help put Flint on a path forward. So, Congressman Kildee, and and you 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 talked about some of the effects, um, the health effects. Uh, we know lead paint poisoning is is one of the worst things that can happen. It actually affects the brain. And I'm from Baltimore, so Flint and Baltimore you know, are two urban areas uh, in this nation. And, and, and we kind of understand one another. But what as as someone from Baltimore who and, and, and we remember hearing the name Freddie Gray um, when the Fred, when Freddie Gray was taken into custody, his brain, they said, had effects of lead paint poisoning. You know, and, you know, even if Freddie Gray would have lived, he still we don't know what that would have looked like for him. I mean, we see that he was in the system. How do you deal with children who are affected by this lead in the water and in their long term effects? What are you doing? What is Flint doing? Well, the most important thing you made the point lead is a neurotoxin. It affects brain development, and its effects are, in many ways, irreversible. But what we know is that the developing brain of a child is an amazing thing, and we have to help encourage new neural pathways so that a kid can overcome, so the child suffering from lead exposure is not sentenced to a life of diminished possibilities. There are a couple of ways to get at that. One is a good, nutritious diet. Flint is a poor city. Uh, 60% of the children living in Flint live below the federal poverty guideline. So we need to do more to make sure that those kids have access, especially to fresh fruit and vegetables. This has been an obsession for me, to try to expand the SNAP program, for example. Uh, I have a program that we push through called the Double Up Food Bucks program. Basically what it says is if you are a SNAP recipient and you go to a fresh fruit and vegetable market and you have a dollar of SNAP benefits, you can purchase $2 of locally grown fresh fruit and vegetables. That makes a difference 
in the way the human body responds to lead and the way that a child's body and brain responds to lead. But there's more. Getting uh, children the opportunity to explore creative expression, the arts, music, dance, opens up new neural pathways that allow the brain to function in a way that might be a little bit different than it would have before it was exposed to lead, but still gives those kids a chance to, to be creative and really productive human beings. So expanding, using the neuroplasticity of the brain, expanding the neural pathways by exercising those other parts of the brain that sometimes are overlooked. Now, April, the sad story is that kids who live in poverty usually have really limited access to those opportunities for artistic expression to expand their minds. So we're really focusing on this in Flint. In fact, just last week, uh, Yo-Yo Ma came to Flint to spend time with kids. You know? And so we're trying to encourage people of that, of that type to spend time with us. Come you know, explore new ideas with these kids. Give them some hope and some reason to, to exercise their brains. It, we would not want to wish this on anyone, but what we want to make sure is that we don't give up on this generation of kids and give them the sense that somehow their trajectory is lesser because of what they've gone through. So you've hit on a couple of things. I'm thinking about as you're talking, you're talking about SNAP um, and, and, and basically cutting into food deserts, which Michelle Obama, former First Lady Michelle Obama was talking about when she was First Lady. Um, we've seen the expansion of of food, of markets with fruit and vegetables in these food deserts since, um, you know, they were in the pres- former President Barack Obama uh, was president of the United States. But and also you talk about SNAP um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, didn't um, wasn't uh, SNAP numbers cut? Weren't the SNAP numbers cut during this administration, the Trump administration, if I'm correct? Right. In fact, they proposed really massive cuts to SNAP and and almost uh, pathetically, their initial proposal was to eliminate SNAP and provide families with government designed food boxes with, you know, which is just like such a throwback to old days of dealing with poverty. Uh, It was really an insult. So this administration, and frankly, it wasn't just the administration, lots of Republicans in Congress have had SNAP in their crosshairs for a long time, trying to reduce something as fundamental as access to food. Uh, We had had to fight this battle every time. Um, This year, thankfully, the House did not prevail. The Senate passed version of the of the farm bill, which is where the SNAP program mm-hmm. goes through, Department retained, of Ag- Agriculture, exactly retained the strong commitment to SNAP. What we want to make sure, though, is is it's not just a program that's funded, but that it's organized in a way that supports more fresh fruit and vegetables, better food being delivered into these food deserts, and then we have to simultaneously work on making sure that we build grocery stores in communities so that the access to to good food is not limited only to people who live in suburbs or can drive their car to the grocery store 
you know, it's a it's a serious problem. Food deserts are a real problem in urban America, and we have to fix that fundamentally. But in the meantime, we've got to make sure that that especially these kids have access to fresh fruit and vegetables. Congressman Kildee, um, the issue of Flint, Michigan, and the water, the lead in the water, and these old pipes, these antiquated pipes, uh, was brought to bear um, by Hillary Clinton, you know, during the last presidential election. Donald Trump began, began the effort to champion the issue. Have you talked to him? Have you given him an update about this? Because he was out there talking about Flint. But and, and, and if I'm correct, he came close or came to Flint, correct? He came to Flint during the campaign. He went to a church that was providing direct support to Flint residents um, and was really admonished by the pastor of that church for turning it into a political event. You know, he said that he was there to help the people of Flint. He, he did did not really do much there. But at that moment, he said he would fix Flint. He would be there. Uh, I have reached out to him uh, repeatedly since he was elected. Initially, we couldn't get even a point person designated to work with us because with the Obama administration, I just called the White House or I just talked to President Obama directly mm-hmm. and stuff got done or talked to Sylvia Burwell at yeah. HHS. Things got done. Or even domestic but, policy advisor, correct? Yes, yeah. exactly. And, but in this case, we haven't been able to get the focus. Uh, the president did at one point in time designate Amarosa as the Flint contact person. Well, you know, that didn't get us very far. Trust me, I understand. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So on Saturday, I did have a conversation with uh, with Jared Kushner, and I said, look, you know, we need, this is two years in. It's not like these guys just started. It's two years in. And we're, we're just tired of waiting. We need help. And so he, you know, okay, I'll, I'll get help for Flint anywhere I can get it. I don't care who it is. If I can get Donald Trump to get focused on Flint, I'll thank him for it. You know, I work for the people of that, of that community. So I'm going to follow up um, with, with Mr. Kushner and see if, if they'll get serious about this. And, and he seemed to indicate that he wanted to. He asked me how Flint was going, so he got the answer. Hmm. At the gridiron, yeah. Yes, exactly. So, Congressman Kildee, so here's here's what I'm going to ask you also. We know Flint is not an anomaly. We know Flint is not alone. We know Washington, D.C. has had lead water issues. Um, we we know that some spaces and places in North Carolina has had lead water issues. I mean, where are the other places that are not necessarily well known that have these issues with lead in the water? And are you working with them um, to try to come together in mass to create a fix or to prevent this from happening for the generations to come? We are. And, you know, there are places like Newark, for example, that just had uh, revealed very serious lead problems. Uh, the Detroit with the schools. It is a problem that that is far beyond what current public awareness is. Because for so long, we overlooked uh, lead in drinking water. And in fact, the testing regimen that was used to determine if drinking water was safe was a joke. And, and it's one of the things that the Flint story has brought some focus to. And you said it exactly right. Flint is not an anomaly. I say that all the time. What I say is Flint's not an anomaly. Flint is a warning. 
It's a warning that if we continue to let a community get to a point where it's one mistake away, as Flint was, from being in crisis, there are just going to be more Flint, Michigans. Now, the hard truth is that Flint is not just about lead in drinking water. This is the story of America's older industrial cities, a lot of them in the Northeast and Midwest, but some in the South and some of the West, that have lost population, that are almost all majority-minority communities, that have been allowed to deteriorate to a point where, in Flint's case, the drinking water was undrinkable. But there are less well-known sad tragedies that take place in, in these great older industrial communities. And that's what we really need to take on. We have to address the drinking water issue for sure. But that was symptomatic of a much bigger problem. The fact that communities like my hometown are allowed to be in such deteriorated conditions with, with very limited public services, very skinny municipal budgets where the parks are not mowed, where the streets are not maintained, where young people don't see opportunity, where 60% of them live in poverty in the richest country in the, in the, in the, in the world at the richest moment in its history. That is the problem that we have to be willing to address. The lead pipes and the lead in the drinking water, it's a problem unto itself, but it's really symptomatic of the fact that we have allowed these conditions to exist for far too long. And, and you know what, April, it's almost like policymakers, either consciously or subconsciously, I think sometimes consciously, are saying these are poor kids in poor places, what difference does it make? That's the sense that I got. When I was trying to get help for Flint, I had people pat me on the head basically and say, well, that's too bad, poor Flint. If what had happened in Flint took place in an affluent suburb, they would have run out of blue ribbons for all the committees they would have had to appoint to solve this problem as fast as they can. Uh, poor communities are allowed to be poor and there's no excuse for it. Flint is just an example. Well, you're saying something that I've seen for years and many politicians way before we even came into came on the scene or even a dream in our parents' minds. You know, they've been dealing with this for a long time, but you had the audacity to speak it. And I appreciate that. Um, and, and realistically, how many people in Flint have been affected um, not, by this drinking water issue? I mean, health wise. Well, the it, we're just getting our arms around that. Of course, we had 12 people die as a result because the the lead exposure was accompanied with a simultaneous Legionnaires spike, which was, mm. again, exactly from the same problem, that the water not being properly treated. We're just finding out among adults uh, that there are literally thousands of people impacted. The one thing we know for sure is that there were 6,000 children under the age of five. Those are the most at-risk uh, members of the Flint community because lead being a neurotoxin, it wouldn't affect you or I. Uh, it, it wouldn't have that kind of an effect on our, on our brains because our brains are already developed. But for the 6,000 children under the age of five, those are the ones who really have, are, I guess they are the face of this tragedy because we don't really know what the full impact of that exposure will be on them. And I think we owe them 
every tool that we can muster to try to make sure that they have the best path forward. And then that's a sad number because it's such a big number, but it's it's one that I think about every single day when I come here. And the sad piece is when you impair a child's cognitive ability, they wind up in some instances in the system, and you wonder why and what happened. They pay a terrible price yeah. because their future is stolen from them, but our whole society loses as a result. And that's why with this story, it's so important that you're doing this because this story needs to be told in its fullness, and it can't be allowed to slip into an historic uh, anecdote. Well, because of you and your prompt response, it is going to be told in its entirety. And I thank you so much. Thank you, April. With this week's On the Record, I'm AURN White House correspondent April Ryan. Don't forget to subscribe to On the Record on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review. On the Record, a product of American Urban Radio Networks.